Tam. All right, so this week's Parsha is Bechukaisai. It's actually a double portion, Bahar and Bechukaisai. And um, he's, the, the, this talk that we're about to look at addresses the very end of the Parsha, but is actually a, a, a brilliant um, breakdown of a couple of different statements in the Talmud. The Rebbe connects things that seem to have nothing whatsoever to do with each other and shows us how they're related, how they're connected, and, uh, and, and how they all come back to the underlying perspective that a particular one of the Talmudic sages, in this case, Rabbi Meir, had. So we're, we're starting with the Parsha, going on from there to two different uh, tractates of the Talmud, and, uh, and, and we'll take it away from there. Uh, I hope you can see the text. The Siyom Parsha Seinu, at the end of this week's Parsha, Kosov, it says, V'chol ma'asar bakar v'tsayim, that all it talks at the end of the parsha, which is the conclusion of the book of Vayikra, that's uh, about the mitzvah called Maiser Behema, the tithing of the animal, right? That's when you give tithes on your cattle or your, or your sheep, anything that goes under the stick, the tenth one should be sanctified for Hashem. Which is mitzvah ma'aser behema kol behema asiris pavaka v'tzayin sheish leila the mitzvah harei kedush l'Hashem every tenth animal that a, that a, a that a, a person had that a Jew had was sanctified was given as a gift was given as a, a as a sacred gift to the to God by giving it to the uh, to the Levim to the Levites right keitzad ma'asran how would he do it kainsan ladir you would bring them into a, a, a patty, and make a small door, and that's what it means, everything that goes under the stick. The guy would stand at the door, have the sheep going out through this little door from one paddock to the next, and count them, one, two, and so on. When the tenth animal came out, he would have the, the, the stick, would be dipped into a red dye, so he would tap it with this red dye, so that now it had a stripe on it. And he would say, "This one should be the tenth. This one should be holy. Should be the should be sanctified." Now, from this verse, although the verse is telling us the general rule of tithing the animals and giving every tenth one, it we also learn an additional detail about the laws of setting aside. Maaser behema, setting aside the tithes of the animal. This is what we learn in the last Mishnah of the tractate of Bechayres. If you, let's say you mixed up your count, right? When you're counting a lot of things, it's easy to get confused. So you're counting, you say one, two, three, four, five, six. And then the ninth one goes out, and by mistake you say ten. And then la sirichi, you realize you made a mistake, so you go back, and the next one, the tenth one, you say, no, 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 nine. And la achadasar asiri, the eleventh one you call ten, says the Mishnah, shloshton mikudashin. All three are now holy. Why? The ones, you, the ninth and the eleventh, because you called them ten, and since you called them ten, that makes them sacred, that makes them holy. The tenth, because it's the tenth, even though you called it the ninth, it's the tenth, so it's actually holy. The Gemara says, how do you know that if you messed up, the one you called the 10th is also sanctified? 
Talmud Leimar, Bachomas, Arbaker, Gitzain, Bacholashi Yaber, Tachta Shevet, Hasidi Yekedesh, Larabis is Kulam. That's why the verse says that all Maasar, Bacher, Gitzain, all the tithes, whatever goes under the stick, the tenth one should be holy. Since it says all, that's telling you anyone that you call number 10. And since it says whatever goes under, the tenth one should be holy. That tells you the tenth one is holy even if you didn't call it 10. So from there you learn that all three will end up in this case being sanctified. However, there's actually an argument in the Talmud. Right? Rameir and Rabbi Yehuda have an argument in the Mishnah about number 11. What, what about it? They both agree that it's considered holy. But the question is, what exactly is the status? Is the nature of its sanctity? Rameir says, this 11th one, you could bring it as a shlamim, as a, as, a, as a peace offering, right? An extra offering to the temple. And not only that, but if you said something else should be in place of it, right? You said, I want to exchange this animal for another. Its sanctity is enough to make the exchange also holy, as if it was the original sacrifice itself. That's Rameir's opinion. Rabbi Yehuda asked, one second. It itself is basically like an exchange. It took the place of one that was supposed to be sacred. So it was itself an exchange. Can an exchange ever make an exchange? It's not holy enough to make another one holy in its place. And they said in the name of Rameir, he proved his point. He said, if it was considered, he said, no, Rabbi Huda's wrong. The 11th one isn't considered an exchange for the 10th, because if it was considered an exchange, you would never be offering it as an offering in the, on the altar. Since you offer it as an offering on the altar, that means that it was itself sanctified. It wasn't just considered in place of the 10th. Hainu, which means... Rabbi Yehuda looks at the number 11 and says its sanctity is just as an exchange. By calling it the 10th when it's really the 11th, it's not really holy. It's just as if you said, oh, instead of the 10th, I want to exchange the 10th now for the 11th, when then the rule is that they're both holy. If that's the case, Rabbi Yehuda says, treat number 11 as the exchange of an offering, of a, of a karma. And therefore, it cannot no longer make an exchange in its place. If you say about another animal, that it should be in place of this 11th one, it won't get the sanctity. Why? Because there's a rule that once it itself is an exchange, it can't make an exchange in its place. Rameir, on the other hand, holds. Rameir on the other hand holds that we don't look at this as if it's just in place of number 10, but rather we look at it as if it itself is holy. And since we're looking at it as if it itself is holy, so therefore it can now make an exchange holy as well. Okay, so that's a very seemingly technical Talmudic debate, 
it's typical to have debate about the nature. We learn from the verse that number 11 is also holy, but Rameh and Rebuda are having an argument. Is it that it became holy like a sacrifice and therefore it could make an exchange holy as well? Or that's Rameh's opinion. Rebuda says, no, it doesn't become holy. It's like you exchange the 10th one for this one. And therefore it has the same rule as any animal that was brought as an exchange for an offering that therefore it's limited in its own, it's in its own sanctity. And Rameir brings a proof to his opinion from the fact that number 11 can be brought as an offering on the altar. If it was considered an exchange, it wouldn't have been brought. Rameir holds that any time you took an animal and exchanged it that was miser, that was tied, and exchanged it for another one, the other one is also holy, but it can't be brought as an offering on the altar, only the original can be brought as an offering on the altar. Therefore, Rameir says, from the fact that number 11 can be brought as an offering on the altar, that's proof that it has its own sanctity and not just sanctity as an exchange. Rabbi Yehuda, on the other hand, holds that there's no problem with bringing even the exchange of the tithe as an offering on the altar, and therefore the fact that you're able to bring it as an offering doesn't prove anything, doesn't prove that it's not, it's not just an exchange. Okay, that's the argument in the Talmud, right? Let's get into the reasoning. What's behind? It's a technical argument. But obviously we know when sages have a technical argument, usually it's based on an underlying perspective of how they see the, the, the approach, the, the, the attitude to the subject matter that leads them to their technical disagreements. So when you get into the svara, the reasoning behind the argument of Rameir and Yudah here, whether the 11th will be considered itself holy, or are you considering the 11th just an exchange for the for the, for the Maizim? You could argue that basically Rav Yehuda holds when you call the 11th number 10, you don't have the capacity to create a new sanctity. You don't have the capacity to create something, to make something an offering, to make something sacred that wasn't in the first place. Meaning, the essential sanctity of the 10th animal, you don't have the capacity to confer on number 11. Because Rabbi Yehuda holds that that sanctity can only be conferred on the one that's actually number 10. Therefore, if you know, if the fact that we're saying that the law is that number 11 is also holy when you call it number 10, Rabbi Yehuda holds, since he says you can't create a new sanctity here, so it must be all you have the capacity to do is to take the sanctity that went on the actual one, number 10, the one that's actually able to be holy in this case, and you extend it. You, 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 you distribute it, as it were, instead of only on the animal it was supposed to be on, you distribute it onto the other animal as well. Omikivan shalei chola 
And since all that's able to fall on number 11 is the extension of the sanctity of number 10, Therefore, it's treated like an exchange. Which also is taking sanctity that there was in sacrifice here, which is already holy. I'm not creating a new sanctity, creating a new sacrifice. I'm extending the sanctity that was on this one to be on the other one as well. So it's not an essential holiness. It's an extension of the original sanctity. And that's his reason why he says this one now can't make and turn another exchange. Since its holiness is only like an exchange, which is an extension of the sanctity of number 10, it doesn't have the same strength as the 10th one itself. Only when you have something that's essentially sacred does is it then enough to then extend onto another. But in this case, it's not enough to extend onto another. But in a case where it's just an extended sanctity, it doesn't have the capacity then to extend further, which is the same reason that once it's a, already a, a, an exchange, it can't in turn make another exchange. That's the opinion of Rabbi Huda. But a mayor, on the other hand, holds that the Torah is creating a new, it's giving us a new novelty, a new rule in the power of this of the, of a decree of the king, meaning this is what God decreed. That not only are you able to extend the sanctity of the actual sacrifice, which is number 10, but when you called number 11, which is not supposed to be a tithe, it's supposed to be a regular animal, but when you called it number 10 by mistake, that, that call, that statement, has the ability to create a new sanctity. Which means, the mayor holds, that the, the fact that the 11th one is now considered a sacrifice isn't just as an extension of the sanctity of the 10th, like an exchange, but rather, this is a rule. If you called it, the, uh, it, called it number 10, it becomes holy. It gets its own holiness. And Rameir brought a proof to his opinion that it's, it's, that it's not considered just an extension or like an exchange, but rather that it's essentially holy from the fact that the number 11 is also allowed to be brought on the altar. Why? If you're going to consider the sanctity of a mistaken mass, like the sanctity of an exchange, then just like according to the mayor, the, the exchange of the actual uh, offering of the miser of the tithe cannot be brought as an offering on the Mizbeach because it doesn't have, the, it, the extended holiness isn't enough to be able to, be, to offer it. The same would be true with an unintentional tithe, with the number 11 that you called number 10, that it wouldn't be able to be brought on the altar. The fact that you could bring it, that actually proves the point that there is an essential intrinsic holiness. 
Okay, so far, an argument between Rabbi Yehuda and Rameir about number 11 that you called by mistake number 10. Is it intrinsically holy or is it an extension of the holiness? And based on that, will it be able to be brought on the off- as an offering an altar? So far, so good. Now we start with the questions. Okay, we get the mechanics of the basis of their reasoning. The mechanics of the basis of their reasoning is that if you believe that it's just an extension of holiness, then it makes sense to say that it's, that it's, that it's a limited sanctity, like Rabbi Yehuda does. Whereas Rabbi, if you... When you say an extension of holiness, you mean that like you still have to sacrifice 10 and 11? Yeah, everybody's agreeing that number 10 and 11 both, and, and 9 if you called it 10, are both okay. going to be given to the, to the, to the, brought as an offering, right? Or, sorry, not given to the Kohan, it's to the Levian, but rather brought as an offering on the altar, right? It's brought as a, as a carbon. And everybody agrees with that. The question is why? Is it that you made number 11 into an offering as well? That's Rameyer's opinion. Meaning, by calling it the wrong one, basically, not only number 10 was an offering, but now the Torah said, because of you calling it, number 11 became an offering as well. Or Rabbi Yehuda said, no, you made a mistake. That's not enough to make this one another offering. However, it's offered as an offering because just like if you took one animal and said, I want to bring the other one instead as an exchange, both are now offered on the altar, on the Mizbeach, because you have the ability to extend the sanctity of this carbon, of this offering, onto the other animal as well. That's what's happening here. By calling number 11, number 10, you didn't make it as intrinsically holy. What you did is you took the holiness of the 10 and said, well, now this animal you called the 10 also has to be treated the same way. And okay. that's, the, that's the basis of their offering. But the question we now have is, what's really behind that? What causes Rabbi Yehuda to say that the sanctity of the 11th is just an extension? Meaning, if you take the verse literally, simply, what is it saying? The verse says, all of them are holy. If I took that simply without getting into any, you know, deep, uh, it, it, it twisted logic, I'll take it on its base at, at, at face value. That the Torah is saying that all three of them should be treated as holy, as, as, as the same sanctity which means that the mistake is treated as literally the same sanctity as the offering itself. Which, fine, I might not have a logical basis for that, but in many of the laws that have to do with the offerings, the Torah tells us there's a hint to something in the Torah, and based on that, we know that that's the rule, right? We don't have to go into what's the reason behind it. What's Rabbi Yehuda's reason? Meaning Rameyer saying that this 11th one is treated the same as the 10th seems to make sense in the verse. And therefore Rameyer's opinion that we treat them exactly the same, that seems logical. Rabbi Yehuda who's saying you don't treat them the same, you treat this just as an extension of the original one, he needs a reason. Why? Why would he say that, right? That doesn't seem to be the simple meaning of the verse. So the Rebbe explains, you could say that the basis of his reason is, 
הדין הוא שקדושת טויס מייסר חולה רק על התשיעי והאחד עשר, ולא על שמיני ושניים עשר. He has an underlying question that leads him to his conclusion, he says. We just said the rule of, of, of a mistake, right? That if you call the ninth one ten by mistake, it's also holy. If you call the eleventh one um, ten, uh, ten by mistake, it's also holy. I'm seeing two of you. Um, but the question, the question is, what if you call number eight ten by mistake, right? Or what if you call number 12 10 by mistake? So then the halacha is actually that that doesn't work. That doesn't make it holy, right? Only number nine and number 11 could be holy. But if you made a, a drastic mistake and called number eight, you, you're up to eight and you say 10, that doesn't do anything. Why? So the reason for this is given in the Gemara. Mahu asiri it says, just like the 10th one, it's right there when it becomes holy. In other words, it's the animal itself, and that's what's able to become holy. His mistake could also only become sanctified if it's nearby, if it's close, right? In other words, if it's way off, it can't become holy. Only if it's close. If it's one off, before or after, then it could become holy. Right? Rashi explains, number nine, number 11. It's right next to 10. So they could also be, 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 uh, be, be sanctified by his mistake. But number eight or 12 can't. What does that mean? Says Rabbi Yehuda, I'll look at that statement and I'll tell you, let's think about its, the conclusions from that statement. Says Rabbi Yehuda, if by me calling something number 10, it was becoming holy, the same as the 10th one, then if I called number 8, 10, or if I called number 12, 10, it should also become holy. What difference does it make? It's a rule that's saying that when I call this one number 10, it becomes holy. Why are they, why are they any different? That why is the, the eighth one or the twelfth one not able to become holy if I call it the ten? Since we say that it it can't, based on this, Rabbi Yehuda argues that proves to me that number t- calling it number ten isn't making it holy, isn't making it a carbon, making it an offering. Because if that was the case, then calling number eight or calling number 12 would also make it a karma. But rather, this proves, Rabbi Yehuda argues, that all that I'm able to do is to draw the holiness that I'm anyway able to convey on number 10 and confer it and extend it to before or after to number nine or 11. Since it's an extension of the sanctity of the tent, then it makes sense that I'm only able to do that to what's right nearby. I'm only able to do that to the ninth or to the eleventh. I'm not able to do that to the eighth or the twelfth and, and the like. Okay, so that's the that's the that's the argument for what's the reasoning behind Rabbi Yehuda's perspective, right? What's the reasoning behind Rabbi Yehuda's thing? The question now will be. Oh, whoops, sorry. 
double double sounding there. Um, okay, so we have Rav Meir's opinion. We have Rav Yehuda's opinion. We're we're soon going to get into. We're going to see how in another. That's the conclusion of the tractate of Bechayres in, in in the Gemara. The tractate of Hurius also mentions briefly this discussion, and uh, and 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 gets into a seemingly completely unrelated discussion. In order to explain what the connection is between them, the Rebbe is going to get to what's really at the heart, what's behind Rameyer's attitude and perspective towards Torah in general, not just in this particular instance, and therefore how is it expressed in seemingly completely and totally unrelated uh, it, 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 arguments and, and, and discussions. So, Bihine, Bibiyur Right to explain the the, the proof of Rameir, the fact that this one that the that number eleven can be offered as an offering on the altar, Rav Meir holds proves to you that's inherently sacred. Says so the Rebbe, you could argue that he's going according to his opinion elsewhere. Isa It says at the end of Meseches Hurius. Okay, we're going to learn here about some political maneuverings, right? We think that politics is something new, that uh, attempts at impeachment and removal and so on are something new. There's always been academic politics, even in the Saved by the Sages of the Gemara. So it says in the Gemara like this, Rab Shimon Megamlio was the Nasi. He was he was the leader of the of the people, and uh, the leader of the of the of the uh, of the academy. He was the nasi, and the the uh, rameyer Nasan wanted to remove him. It doesn't say here why, right? We'll see soon if there's reasons. But they wanted they they weren't fans. They wanted to get rid of him. So what did they come up with? They came up with a plan. We're going to tell him, as Rashi says, We're going to ask him to teach us about Meseches Uksin. Uksin is the last tractate in the entire Mishnah. It deals with the technical laws of literally of, of, of like peels and, uh, and, and, and stems of... Uh, of, of um, keeps making funny things here. Um, it deals with the laws of, of transfer of tsuma, transfer of impurity, like through the stem of, of a fruit or the branch of a, of, of, a, you know, of, of a vegetable and things like that. Very technical and complicated laws. So Rameyer and Rabnasan want to depose the Nasi. They want to depose the, the, the leader of the academy. So what are the, what, what's their plan? They figured, let's tell him, we want you to teach us about Uksin. The Leslie. Why? Because they knew that Rav Shem wasn't an expert in that particular area of law. Right? He didn't know it so well. The Kivan Dalai Gomer. So they figure, we're going to ask him, we want you to teach about that. Since he doesn't, he hasn't learned it. Name we're going to tell him, if you don't know it, if you can't, teach us about anything that we ask you about, you're not fit to be Nasi. You're not fit to be the leader. Because it says, There's a verse in Tehillim. Who will tell the glory of Hashem, the strengths of Hashem, 
who will tell us, who will make heard all of his praises. And they said, who, for whom is it appropriate to be the one that tells us the, the strengths of Hashem? One who is capable of making known all of his praise. So therefore, if there's an area of Hashem's praise, meaning an area of Hashem's Torah, that Rabbi Shimon Megamliel isn't an expert of, that'll be a basis to have him removed as Nasi. Pretty intense, uh, in, 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 intense uh, level that they expected from their leaders, right? If, if he's not going to know what we ask him, that'll be a reason to depose him. V'loy Adam. But it didn't work. Why didn't it work? It so happened to be that that night before this took place, Rav Shimon Megamliel learned the tractate of Uksin. And therefore, Rameyer and Ramnasin have this plan and they show up to the base bedrooms, to the study hall, and they tell Rav Shimon Gamliel, okay, yeah, we want you to talk today about the tractate of Uksin, thinking he doesn't know it and we'll be able to, to, to kick him out. Miyad Darashba. Immediately, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel gets up. He had just learned it the night before, so he gets up and he begins to speak about it. Because of that, they made a knas, they made a, 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 a fine on Rameir Rabnasan that from that point on, they weren't going to quote things. The, the teachings that they had taught, they wouldn't quote them in their name. And therefore, there's many Mishnas. Um, later on, the Rebbe has in one, of the, in one of the footnotes a full list. I believe it's over 30. Um, there's over 30 places in the Talmud where there's a teaching from Rav Meir, but it's not quoted by name. It's, it says, others said. And everybody knew that when it says others said, it means Rav Meir. But he wasn't, they were punishing him by not, by not teaching it in his name. And Rab Nassim, whenever it says in a Mishnah, Yesh Imram, some people say, it doesn't tell us who, that's Rab Nassim. And this was a punishment for trying to depose the Nasi, for trying to depose the prince. So that's the story the Gemara tells us. And as a continuation to that, the Gemara tells us, Rebbe, Who's Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, the, the, the redactor of the, of the Mishnah, the one who wrote down the Mishnah, the editor of the Mishnah. So he was teaching Rabbi Shimon, his son. Now, Rabbi is the son or, or great grandson, depending which Rabbi Shimon Megamliel it is, but I believe it's, it's the son of Rabbi Shimon Megamliel. So Rabbi teaches his son, Rabbi Shimon. That Achedim say, that others say, meaning, as we said, that was Rameir, not calling them by name, If it was a Tzmura, if not the 11th was just an exchange, it wouldn't be able to be brought. Meaning he quoted the, sec- the Mishnah that we just learned, the, t- the Tzmurek teaching that we just learned. Amar lei, mihem halalu anu ushmaisam So Rab Shimon, the son of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi says to him, who are these people that were willing to drink from their waters, meaning we're willing to learn their teachings, but we're not willing to mention their names? You're, you're quoting a teaching from somebody, but you're not willing to call him by name. You're saying others say, 
right? Who are these people that we're willing to drink from their, from their water to, to, to study their Torah, but we're not willing to mention their name? Amr Lei, Sarebi says back to him, These were people who tried to uproot your honor and the honor of your father's home. Because again, the, Reb Meir had tried to depose Reb Shimon Megamliel, who's this Reb Shimon's grandfather, right? He had tried to depose him as Nasi, as the prince, as the leader. So, so Rebbe answers back, they're people that were our family's enemies, right? They were, they were messing with our family. Amar gam ahavasam, gam sin asam, gam kin asam Reb Shimon says back to his father, Rebbe, don't you think it's time to get past this fight? Their love, their hatred, their jealousy, it's all already gone. Meaning, by Reb Shimon Megamliel's not around anymore, Reb Meir's not around anymore, Reb Nassim's not around anymore. We have to keep on playing this game and calling them achedim, calling them others. It's time to let that grudge go. Hadar asnu So because of that, Rebbe changed that Mishnah, and instead he taught him, yes, they said in the name of Reb Meir, the Mishnah that, that we quoted earlier in our Mishnah, if it was a tzmura, if it was just an exchange, it would not, it would, it wouldn't be offered on the mizbeach. That's the story in the Gemara, right? So it mentions our case, but almost as an aside, as just part of the story of Reb Meir trying to get rid of Reb Shimon Megamliel as the prince. It fell through; his plot fell through. Because of that, he was punished. That he's known as Achedim as others, but then. A generation, two generations later, when Rebbe is teaching his son this teaching of Reb Meir, he quotes him as Achedim, and they have this conversation, and because of that, he, he goes back and calls him Reb Meir. Then the Gemara brings seemingly an unrelated another statement. Reb Shimon Megamliel and the sages argue. They had an argument. What's better? Somebody that knows a lot of Torah, that has a broad knowledge of, of a lot of different topics, or somebody who's very deep, who's able to really break it down and get to the get to the essence of the of the of the of the discussion of the uh, of of the uh, of the topic, right? So they were arguing. One said a Sinai is better, right? The one who knows a lot is better. The other one says Eker Harim, the one who uproots mountains is better, meaning the one who really gets to the core of the matter. So then they sent here, which one is better? So they sent back the Sinai, the one who knows a lot is better. Why is the one who knows a lot better, the one who has a broad knowledge better? Because everybody needs the master of the wheat. In other words, when you have wheat, you could start baking bread. You can make it into flour. You can make different things. If you don't have wheat, you, you can't make any fancy things, right? Sim similarly, they're saying we need somebody who knows the material, who knows the teachings. Once you know the teachings, you could get into discussions, into debates, into breaking it down to, to, to get to the core of the matter, to get to the deeper understanding. But without the teachings themselves, then, then you've got nothing to go off altogether. That's, that's the... the, the End of the tractate of Purius, the final statement in the Gemara. So the Rebbe is going to ask a bunch of questions here about what's the relevance. That seems like a very uh, all over the place Gemara. 
we started off with, with a plot or a mayor of Nassim Hav of getting rid of Rav Shimon Gamliel as the prince, right? It fails. Then we get into Rebbe teaching Rav Shimon about Tzmura, specifically using this case Tzmura. We understand the connection because he doesn't want to mention Rav Meir by name because of the punishment. And that's when they got rid of that rule and started calling him Rav Meir again, right? But still, and then it repeats again, the statement from Tzmura, our case, our discussion, about, about whether number 11 is intrinsically holy or just holy by extension. And then it goes into this other discussion about is it better to know a lot of, a lot of material or better to have great depth. And that's quoted in the name of Rav Shimon Gamliel and the sages. And it doesn't tell us which sage. So the Rebbe asks, you have to understand. First question, what's the connection between this argument? Is it better to have broad knowledge or in-depth knowledge to the previous argument about Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and Rabbi Shimon not getting along? So the Rebbe first brings an opinion, an answer that's given in a book called the Be'er Sheva. He says like this, He says, why is this relevant here, this argument between Rav Shem and Gamliel and the sages? Because it's the basis for the previous story, for Rav Meir and Rav wanting to give, get rid of Rav Shem and Gamliel as the prince. Why, why did they have against him? Why did they want to, why did they feel he's not, uh, he's not fit to be the Nasi? Because he wasn't a Sinai as much as the says. In other words, the mayor of Nasan had this broad knowledge in all areas of Torah. Rav Shimon Gamliel, the Be'er Shava is arguing, was very deep, but maybe didn't have that broad knowledge. He didn't know, as we said, he didn't know the tra- tractate of Uksiv. Now, Rameir Nasan felt you could only be the leader, you could only be the one who's, who's teaching if you know everything, if you have a broad knowledge. And therefore, since they felt Rav Shimon Gamliel didn't have a broad enough knowledge, they wanted to get rid of him. Now that's what the Gemara is bringing, that next argument. Rav Shimon Megamlio, the Be'er Sheva's arguing, feels it's not as important to know everything. For that, you'll, you'll, you'll do a CD search, you'll do a Google search. What's more important is that you have a depth of knowledge, that you'll be able to go deeply into it. And therefore, Rav Shimon Megamlio felt, it doesn't matter if I'm not such a Sinai. What matters more is that I'm more of an Eikar Harim, that I'm more of somebody who could go really in depth and uproot the mountains and break the, break the topic down to its details. But, um, but, but the other opinion held, no, it's more important to be Sinai. It's more important to have a knowledge of all areas of Torah. Hainu, that means that the Be'er Sheva says, According to this, this the Be'er Sheva is saying that a Meir of Nasan they had the quality of Sinai. They had the quality of a broad knowledge. They were experts even in the tractate of Uksin. was one who could uproot mountains, who could go very great in depth. And it was based on this that they were having the argument between them. 
ולכן מובס בהמשך לזה המחלקת בין רב שמעון גמליאל ורבנן, שהם לפיתר שבאר שבע, רב מאיר ורבנן. And that's why it's bringing afterwards the argument between רב שמעון גמליאל and the sages, which the באר שבע is interpreting, who are the sages, רב מאיר ורבנן. Because that argument as to whether Sinai is better or Iker Harim is better, whether breadth of knowledge or depth of knowledge is better, is actually the basis of why Rabbeir Rabbanasim wanted to depose Rabbi Shimon Gamliel as Nasim. Me, Adif, Sinai, Eker, Hardim, which one's better? Aval, Peter, Zekashem, Hadis, and Sanhedrin. But the Rebbe is not satisfied with this information. Why? From a different Gemara. It says in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Kalareya, Rabbeir, Bebe, Sanhedrish, Kilo, Eker, Hare, Harim, Betechanon, Zebazah. It tells us elsewhere in the Talmud that if you saw a mayor in the study hall, you saw somebody that was uprooting the mountains, the highest of mountains, and grinding them together, meaning he was very deep in his analysis and his breaking down of the, of the underlying logic of the topic. If that's the case, it seems to be saying clearly in the Torah that a mayor is the one who is uprooting mountains. Rabbeir is the one who is very deep in his analysis and his knowledge. Gam Amr Razal Be'erevin. Also, elsewhere in the Gemara, in Erevin, the, 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 the sages tell us that that it's open and known before the one who said and the world came to be, meaning God knows, essentially the Talmud is saying, that there was nobody as great in the generation of Rameir of of as him. However, odd little thing, very rarely does the halacha, does the law actually follow Rameir. Generally speaking, it almost always follows Rabbi Kiva when he's arguing with him. Rabbi Yehuda when he's arguing with Rameir, usually the halacha follows. It doesn't often follow Rameir. Why wasn't, if Rameir was the greatest in his generation, why doesn't the law actually follow him? Says the Gemara, you know why? The halacha wasn't like him because other people weren't deep enough to understand. They didn't get him. If, if other people, if the general, the, the consensus opinion isn't deep enough to appreciate the depth of his analysis, so they're not going to rule like him. They're not going to follow him in their rulings, right? That's what the Gemara says. And there's another story. It says also in the Gemara in Erevin that a mayor had a student, his name was Sumchis. For every rule in the laws of purity and the laws of impurity, he would give 48 reasons, 48 explanations. Which means even Rameir's student was very deep in his analysis. Basically, he's bringing several statements in the Talmud. The Be'er Sheva's answer to explain the argument between Rav Shimon and Gamliel and Rameir was that Rameir felt there's a very great importance to having a broad knowledge, and Rav Shimon and Gamliel felt, no, it's more important to have an ability to deeply analyze something. But here we find all these stories that actually emphasize that Rameir is the one who is very deep in his analysis. We find another story in Saita. That at first Rameir went to study from Rabbi Kiva, but he was too deep for him. So then he went to Rabbi Yishmol and he learned 
the basic laws, and then went back to Rabbi Kiva and learned the depth of analysis. That means that even when he was still only the student of Rabbi Kiva, he already was able to appreciate the depth of analysis for the reasoning behind the Mishnayis and so on. So again, that means the Be'er Sheva's answer was predicated on assuming that Rav Shimon Gamliel is the one who appreciated more the depth of analysis and Rameyer wanted to depose him because he, he felt that there's a greater need for a breadth of knowledge. But you find all these stories in the Gemara that seem to tell us the exact opposite, that Rameyer is the one who was, who's excelled in depth of analysis. So how could this be? How does this fit with the Be'er Sheva's explanation? Al based on all of these proofs, we need to understand. If that's the case, then this argument of Rabbi Shimon Megamliel about whether there's a benefit to, to Sinai or Eikar Harim, to, to, to the one who has greater breadth or greater depth, doesn't seem to have any relevance to why Rabbi Meir wanted to get rid of him. And if that's the case, why are we mentioning it here? That whole Tal- Talmudic uh, flow seems to be really, uh, really, really choppy, right? Really uh, uh, all over the place. In addition to this, sorry, guys, you still with me? I know uh, we went a little deep here. Yep. So, yes. Okay, good. Okay, so a- again, we, we're not really bringing it back yet to our original argument. We're going to get there eventually at the end. What we're trying to figure out now is in this new statement, the Talmud at the end of Tractate Hurius, it tells a story. Then, it's, it, then it mentions, first of all, in that context of the story, it mentions the argument about, uh, about Tzmura, right? The original argument that we were discussing, but it doesn't seem to have any direct relevance. And then it gets into an argument about Sinai and Eikar Harim, is it better to have depth of knowledge or breadth of knowledge, which, yes, we brought a commentary that explains very beautifully how that might be seen as relevant to the story that was just brought before it. But when you actually analyze it and compare it to statements we know elsewhere, it doesn't seem to, to fit with the, with the facts that we know about Rameir. So if that's the case, we're back to the question, what's the connection between these two, these two statements in the Gemara? Okay, then we, the Rebbe asks several other questions. Aleph, first of all, we said that they tried to depose Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. They failed, so they find the, 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 the two plotters, right? Well, how did they find them? That we're not going to say anything in their name. But the Rebbe asks, let's focus for a second on the details. There's got to be a reason behind the nicknames they gave them. Why was Rameyer given the nickname others and Rabnasan given the, na- the nickname some say, right? There, what's, what's the deeper reason, reasoning? Why was each one connected specifically to the person it was given to? Secondly, we do find there are many places, as I mentioned, there's some 30 some places that it uses the name Acherim when talking about Rameyer. There's hundreds of others that mention Rameyer by name. So how does that fit with this, with this, uh, with this find? 
ודייכת לימר שכל אלו המשנייס המרובייס שבהן הוזכר שמי, הוא כבר נוסחס על קדם העובדה הנאו. ואילו לאחר שכנסו, לא נאמרו אלא אילו הלכס המועטת שבהן נזכר בשם אחר. You could answer that when, that all those statements that are said in the name of Rameyer, they were already sort of organized in that fashion before he was punished, and therefore they continue to be taught in the name of Rameyer. And the ones that say Achayrim, those are the ones that were taught afterwards, but it's hard to say because that only a few were, were, were organized after this story in the time of Rav Shimon Gamliel, which is a generation at least before Rebbe, when the Mishnah is formally organized, only those 30 were, 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 were determined and decided afterwards, and all those other several hundred were decided before. Taisus, he brings down in the footnotes, gives another answer that the things that Rav Meir learns from Elisha and Avuya, the, from his teacher, who was later known as Acher, because he went off the proper path. Those are the ones that he's called Acherim, but, uh, but, but uh, that also doesn't seem to fit so well, um, you know, with, with, the, with the details and so on. He gets into a detailed analysis of that uh, opinion of Taisus. Gimel, number three. Right? It, it, the Gemara brings the story that Rabbi was teaching Rabbi Shimon, his son. Right? The, the story immediately after the, the, we, we said that Rameyer was, was punished. Now it's quite obvious from this context that the point of bringing that story has nothing to do or isn't focused on the details of the argument about whether number 11 in by Meiser is also holy or not. The point was the discussion between Rebbe and his son about should we mention Ramey or should we call him Acherim, call him others, or should we mention, mention him by name. But it's not about the content, because the content isn't relevant. What's relevant is what name we call. If that's the case, Esther Rebbe, why, why, why not just say the Rebbe taught him something and said, Achedim, Imram, others say, and, and Reb Shimon asked him, why, why can't we say his name, right? Why do we have to mention this specific context, the teaching that he was teaching? If it's irrelevant, the point is the name by which he was called. Not only that, Afterwards, at the end of the story, when it says, okay, then he went back, he agreed with him, and he taught him, they said in the name of Rameir, it doesn't stop there, and it repeats again. If it was a Torah, if it was just an exchange, it couldn't have been brought on the altar. Meaning, again, he quotes the specific teaching that he was teaching. That seems to imply that somehow the content of the teaching is relevant to, this, to the discussion between them, and isn't just an example of, some, of, of, of what name we're calling them. So those are the three details that the Rebbe asks about. And to explain all of this, he's going to turn the Be'er Sheva on its head and make the argument that the Be'er Sheva got the right idea, but just the wrong details, right? Because our question was on the details. He said Rameir was the one with the broader knowledge, yet we found four or five different instances in the Gemara, where a mayor is, is highlighted for his depth of analysis, not for his breadth of knowledge. So he says the Ershava got the right idea, just he got it wrong. He got the details wrong. Habir Bechol explanation in all of it. 
הפירוש בהמשך הסוג יהופי הבאר שבע. היינו שגם עובדי דרמאיר ורב נאסן, מצד חוק דאסן, רב ג'מי גמליאל, איסיני איידף איייקר הרם. The Be'er Sheva was right about his explanation for the flow of the Talmudic statement, that the argument uh, that Rab Meir and Rab Nassim were having with Rab Shimon Gamliel is the same argument. Is it better to have a breadth of knowledge or is it better to have a depth of analysis? But the Rabbi says, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, he says, I believe that the Be'er Sheva just got it backwards about which one was saying which. Rab Meir, like we proved earlier, Rab Nassim were the ones who actually were arguing for the greater depth of analysis. For Rab Shemim Gamliel, Sinai, and Rab Shemim Gamliel, who was the, was the one who had a great breadth of knowledge. He says this is implied also in the way the Gemara states it. It says, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and the sages argued, one said Sinai, one said Eker Hari. Yodua de Bitsignan said, the Lenisparish Miuachad Amar Rishin Miyashena. Naktin and the Zeshishma Nisker Rishena, Hubala de Rishena. Says there's a general rule that in this type of situation, right, he bases this rule on a Ritvaz in the laws of Maizer Sheni, that when you have this language in the Talmud, that there is an argument between the two sages, between this one and this one. One said this and one said that, and it doesn't tell us which one said which. Generally speaking, the one whose name is mentioned first is the first opinion, and the one whose name is mentioned last is the last opinion. According to that, it'll turn out that Rav Shimon Gamliel is actually the one who says that a breadth of knowledge is better, and it's Rav Meir Ramnasan that are saying that the that the depth of knowledge, depth of analysis, is more important. But after Rav Shimon Gamliel, I, what about in the story? It seemed to say that Rav Shimon Gamliel didn't learn Meseches Uksin, which Rav Meir Ramnasan didn't know about, asked them to teach about, which implies that they had a broader knowledge, and, it, it, and he was lacking in his breadth of knowledge. So he says, Peter He says, no, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean he had never learned the tractate of Uxin at all, right? That he didn't have a basic breadth of knowledge about that. If that was the case, that he had never learned it at all, how could he learn everything about it in one night? Especially since in the story, it doesn't imply that he learned it from somebody who's expert in it. It makes it sound like he sat down and learned it the night before, as it were, by accident. Also, by the way, it wouldn't even be respectful for a leader to have to learn, to have to have somebody teach him something from scratch. He says, so we're reading the story wrong. When it says that he hadn't learned the Uksin, it just means he hadn't learned it in depth. He hadn't really gone deep in analyzing the reasons behind it. Of course he knew the basics, but he didn't have a deep knowledge in it. It says in the Gemara and Brachas about Rav Yehuda that all of his learning was in Nizikin. And when he would come to learn Uktsin, 
he would say, I see this all as Havayas of Rav and Shmuel. What does that mean, Peter Shrashi? He said, I basically accept this on faith from my teachers because I don't really understand it. I can't get into the, the depth of why the rules are the way they are when it comes to, to these details. According to this, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel was the one who held the breadth of knowledge. So he had a breadth of knowledge. He knew Uksin also, but he didn't have their depth. And now Rameya and Rabnasin are trying to prove somebody who doesn't have depth isn't worthy to be Nasi because they hold that it's better to be Eikar Harim, it's better to have a deep uh, understanding of the, of the underlying reason. So therefore, they figured, let's ask him questions about Uksin, and we'll show that he doesn't have the, the sharpness, he doesn't have the depth of analysis that we, that, that, that we have, that we demand. Says the Rebbe, based on this reading of the Gemara, of the argument between Rameir and Shemigam Leel, that's why they called Rameir specifically by the name of Achenim. And that's the underlying reason why Rameir holds the first Gemara, the first argument that we mentioned. That if it was a tzmura, it couldn't have been brought on the Mizbeach, that this had to have become a sacrifice itself and not just be an extension of the sanctity of the tenth one. And the reason why we bring this halacha here, because by understanding this, the depth of their argument about Sinai and Eiker Harim, will understand the depth of Rameir's approach, and that will explain why all of these details are actually connected to one another. How is that, right? That's going to take uh, a magician to connect these seemingly completely unrelated statements to each other. Says the Rebbelechus. He says, let's actually get to the underlying, again, the depth of analysis. And by the way, it, it's fascinating that in this discussion about Sinai or Eikar Harim, the breadth of knowledge or the depth of analysis in this particular discussion, the Rebbe is really uh, exhibiting to us a, a, a glimmer of, 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 of his sheer genius in both, of bringing together so many disparate statements from literally all parts of the Talmud, while at the same time giving us a depth of analysis that gets to the core of the issue that shows us how all of these seemingly separate pieces are actually part of one and the same approach, one and the same attitude. Says the Rebbe like this, the depth, the, why do they, do you have this seemingly banal argument? Is it more important to have a broad knowledge or is it more important to have a deep analysis be able to uproot mountains? Says the Rebbe, you could say, you could argue that the foundation of this argument is founded in a famous discussion or chakira, or, or a, a query. As to what's more important, quantity or quality? Does quantity determine quality or quality determine quantity? If you have on one side something that's of great quantity and little quality, and on the other side of great quality but little quantity, which one is more valuable, which one is more important. You have that question in many areas of, of, of Talmudic law, 
right? Uh, he he uh, notes in the footnote that this is a discussion, a debate that's analyzed by Rabiesis Engel, famous, brilliant analyst, uh, Talmudic analyst of the uh, previous, the generation before the war. Um, and uh, the Rebbe loves his works, the works, the teachings of the Ragachover, um, a lot of similarities between them in many ways. So is the prime focus on quantity, and that determines that's more important than quality, or is what's more important quality, and that determines quantity. And you could say that that's the same argument here. Sinai means somebody who studied all of the Mishnas and Brises, all of the teachings of the sages, and they're organized in his mind as they were given from Mount Sinai. His greatness in Torah study is in quantity. In quality, he might not be so great. He might not be able to get to the depth of the analysis of the reasons behind the halachas, the deep uh, discussion. Oikar Harim, somebody who uproots mountains, who charif b'taymi halachas, is very sharp in the reasoning behind the halachas. His greatness in Torah study is in quality. Even though in quantity, he might not be as expert as the, as the one who has a broad knowledge. The argument is which one's greater. Is it better to have a lot of quantity or is it better to have a lot of quality? Rav Shimon Gamliel felt the main thing is quantity of knowledge. felt the main thing is quality, is depth. According to this, we can answer one of our questions earlier. Why, when they chose to find Rameir, that he's not going to be quoted by name, did they give him the specific nickname, Acherim Others? Why others? They meant to say, Yes, they were finding him, but they were also expressing his quality. Rameir is Acherim. He's on a whole other level. Others say, he's on a whole other level, different than the rest of us. That's why, since he was at a whole different level of quality, so even when they wanted to find him and say, we don't want to say ever teaching in his name, they still wanted to use a nickname that's going to express his advantage, his quality. That's why they call him others. He's on a whole different, he's on a whole other level of quality of understanding. Whereas Rav Nassim wasn't as great on the level of Rav Meir. He, he's just called others, some say. It's not emphasizing that he's other. He's on a whole different level of quality. He's just, he's, a, he's an other. He, he's, he's someone. Right? He, someone says he's a different opinion. So in Rameir's name, they chose the nickname that emphasizes the full extent of his greatness. Even though Rav was also deep in his analysis, nonetheless, obviously there's different levels. 
Rameyer was even greater in this depth of analysis. Like we quoted earlier, the Gemara says, Rameyer uprooted mountains of mountains, the highest of mountains, and ground them together in his analysis and his getting to the, to the root of the issue. And that's why they chose to call Rameir by a different name, a name that shows the depth, the greatness of his sharpness, that he's on a whole different category. He's on a whole different level of echos of, of, uh, of quality. Okay. Little recap, because I know we, we, we got it. Little recap, basically what we've got so far is we've got Rav Meir connecting all these different stories with Rav Shem Gamliel and, and, and all that. The point was that Rav Meir was somebody who was extremely um, special in what? In depth. What, why did he feel that depth of analysis is more important than breadth of knowledge? Because he felt that always, whenever you have a conflict between quantity and quality, he feels quality is more important. According to this, you can understand our original argument that Rameir says about Smura that the 11th is inherently sacred, the 11th that you called by mistake 10 when tithing your animals, and isn't just an extension of the sanctity of the, of the 10th like Rabbi Yehuda and this will also explain the other question that we asked earlier. Why did they have to mention the content if Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon are having a discussion about whether they should call Rabbi by name or not? Why do they bother mentioning the content of the statement, of a particular statement, if really the discussion is about the name, and it has nothing to do with the content of the statements. No. Because it actually is relevant to the discussion about what to call it. Because the, the statement that he makes about smura, if it was just an extension of the sanctity of the tent, it couldn't have been offered on the Mizveach on the altar. That's highlighting the same opinion of Rameir that says that quality is always going to be more important than quantity. Why? Since Rameir holds that quality is the main thing, even though we made an argument earlier logically for Rabbi Yehuda that, it, that since, it, since only the 9th and 11th could become sacred, if you call them 10th and not the 7th or, 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 or 13th, that proves to you that seemingly that it's just an extension of the sanctity, like an exchange of, of the sanctity of the tenth rather than a brand new, brand new sanctity. Nonetheless, Reb Meir will choose to give precedence to the proof that the proof that it does have inherent sanctity from the fact that you're able to bring it on the altar where he argues that if it was a tzpura, if it was just an exchange, you wouldn't be able to do that. Why? Because it's two different types of, of proofs. One's a proof from quantity and one's a proof from quality. 
הנה חכם הדין שתעושה אלה מסקדש הסלו בסמוך, היא מצד עניין הקמוס. The proof that Rabbi Yehuda brought, that since it only extends to number 9 and number 11, that proves to you that it's just an extension of the sanctity of the 10th, that proof is focusing on the quantity. Because the difference between 9, 11, and 8, and 12, and so on, is in the quantity, how close it is to the 10th. The 9th and 11th are closer to the 10th, meaning that's focusing, that's a proof that's focused on the argument about quantity. But Reb Meir chooses to focus on the proof. That's proving it from the quality of the sanctity. That if it wasn't inherently sacred, if the quality of its sanctity was just that of an extension, that wouldn't be a great enough quality of sanctity to allow it to be offered on the altar. So in other words, we have two potential proofs here, proving two opposite arguments. The one proof from the, from the closeness, from the fact that the 9th and 11th could become sacred and not the 8th and the, and the 12th, would be proving that it's, that, that, that it's in fact just an extension of the, of the sanctity. The other proof that it could be brought on the altar seems to prove that it's inherently sacred. You have a choice, which proof do you want to focus on? Because they're both true. So Rabbi Meir approaches it and says, let me look, what do I prefer? A proof that's focused on the quality of the sanctity or a proof that's focused on the quantity? Rabbi Meir says, I believe quality is always more important. So Rabbi Meir, since he holds the main thing is the quality, he holds it's not just an extension like an exchange because the quality argument emphasizes that it's inherently sacred. What are you going to do with the opposite proof? So Rameir will have to argue that it needing to be 9th or 11th as opposed to 8th or 12th isn't saying how far the sanctity extends. It's just a sign which one is able to get this inherent sanctity by being called the tenth. But that, that, that all that being the ninth or eleventh does is tell you, tells you that this animal now is close enough therefore to be capable of receiving its own inherent sanctity. But it's still not like Rabbi Yehuda saying that it extends it to the 9th and 11th and it can't extend further. It's just that this is able to now be called, and when it's called, it, it, it gets its own inherent sanctity. That's why when the Gemara says that Rebbe said to Shem, his son, that Rebbe was called Achedim, he doesn't just say Achedim, he doesn't just call him by name and that's all we're going to quote because that's all that's relevant. But he actually quotes the content, which particular argument he said it in. In the context, he quoted this specific, this specific quotation about Smurah. That 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 if it was just a, a, an exchange, it wouldn't be able to be offered on the altar. Because this argument, this statement, actually highlights Rameyer's opinion that quality is more important. 
And like we said, that's the reason why they gave Rameir the nickname Racherim. So Rebbe was telling his son, the specific statement Rameir makes, because that also highlights Rameir's whole attitude, whole approach, that quality is more important. And that's why we gave him the nickname of Racherim. That's why after Rebbe says to his son, I'm not saying his name because he's the one who wanted to uproot your honor and the honor of your father's home, our family. But Rebbe Shimon says, ah, what's the point? It's a long time ago. Let's mention this. He again repeats which context he said it in. That if it was a tzvore, it wouldn't be brought. Why? Because he's hinting. By repeating the content of the argument, he's hinting at the fact even though the argument Rav Meir is making is that quality is more important. And if we accept Rav Meir's argument that quality is more important, since Rav Shimon Megamliel disagreed with that, that has the capacity to undermine our whole family's claim to leadership. So it has the capacity to, to actually to, to harm us individually. Nonetheless, he says, Rav Shimon, you're so right that I'm still going to mention his name in the context of this very argument that has the capacity to undermine our family. Why? Because they're no longer trying. It's all in the past. But nonetheless, even after he does mention him by name, he accepts his son's argument, he still doesn't say Rameir said. He says they said in the name of Rameir. Why? Because he still <laughs> recognizes that if I accept at full at, 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 at fully the argument that Rameir is making, the quality is more important, then our whole family's claim to leadership is going to be undermined. So therefore, even when he agrees with him that it's in the past and I could quote Rameir by name, I'm still not going to say Rameir said, I'll just say in the passive voice, they said in the name of Rameir. According to this, we can answer the question we asked before. What's going on? The fact of the matter is we see Rameir is mentioned hundreds of times. He said, and, and yet we still have several times, 30 sometimes, where he's mentioned by the name of Achirim. He says, according to this, you can answer it simply. That in many places we say, we quote the Rameir by name, even though they called him Achirim. Now he says there's two rules for when Rameir will be called Achirim. And this is uh, an amazing argument, and it would be, it would take somebody. Uh, months, but I, I, it would be an amazing, uh, amazing work to go through all of these and follow the logic to its, to, to its conclusion. You know already where it needs to get, but to actually prove how this works. But the Rebbe makes the argument that every place that a mayor is called a cheyrem in the Mishnah is because of two things. One, it has to do at core with this argument. The statement, every statement quoted in the name, every one of Rameir's statement, statements quoted by the name of Achirim gets down at its core to this argument that quality is more important than quantity. And also he makes the argument they also have to be statements that were made after this event took place. And in those cases, Neymar Achirim 
Then it says, as others say, as opposed to in other Mishnayis, he's still mentioned, Rameir is still mentioned by name. So here you have in the footnote over here at the bottom, I, I counted it earlier, I believe it's 30-something quotations throughout the Talmud, where Rameir is called Achelem. And according to this, you have to be able to go to each one of those, and you should be able to prove that what lies at the core of those 32 different arguments throughout the entire Gemara, um, what lies at their core is this underlying approach that Rameir believes that uh, the quality is more important than quantity. And that's why he's being called acherem. In other words, it's not just like a side fine uh, as, as, as the, out, of the, out of the honor of Rav Shemin it's the specific argument he was making that led him to want to uproot the honor of Rav Shimon Gamliel. The fact that he argued the quality is more important than quantity, and he felt that Rav Shimon Gamliel represented more the value of quantity, it's wherever he continues to make an argument that's based on that underlying reasoning, that's where he's given the name Achir. So this particular sikha, this particular talk, at least here in the edited version, doesn't uh, bring it down to a practical lesson as the rabbi usually does in most of his talks. Um, maybe there is in the unedited version, I didn't get a chance to, 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 to look it up, to do some research. But, uh, but I think it's, it's a, even without translating it into the practical, it's just this an incredible, um, really brilliant analysis of you had the arguments in, in related to this week's parsha about the, the, the tithing of the animals. And if the 11th one is called 10, that it's considered holy, and the arguments between Rameir and Rabbi Huda about that, and the reasonings back and forth. Then you had this story of Rameir of Nasan trying to propose Rabbi Shimon Gamliel as Nasan. Then you had the quote of the, of the story of the argument about Maeser Behema in this discussion between Rabbi, Shimon, Rabbi, Shimon, Rabbi and his son Rabbi Shimon um, about whether to call Rameir by the name Achedim or to call him by name. And then finally, the argument about what's more important, breadth of knowledge or depth of analysis. And the Rebbe really showed how all of these really are at core, one and the same story. They're all based on the reasoning, is quantity more important or is quality more important? Rameir held quality was more important and therefore approached everything from that perspective. And he made the, the very uh, provocative statement, if you will, that at least 30 other arguments in the Talmud are based on this same reasoning. And now somebody's got to go out there and, and, and figure it out, show how all of those different discussions will come back to this question of quality versus quantity. I uh, hope you followed. I hope you enjoyed. This was a little... Uh, a, a little more uh, in-depth Talmudic analysis than, than, than usual, but, um, but I, I, I found this a very, very beautiful um, analysis and, 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 well, personally. <laughs> One second, let's stop. Thank you, Rabbi. It's truly a pleasure. Uh, usually it's, it's a little lighter and a little, uh, a little, a little shorter, so I hope you, <laughs> I hope this didn't scare you off from joining us other weeks. <laughs> no, no worries. I, I will. Just that it's like 11. I know. It's, it's very late for you. Longer. All the way from Panama. But no worries. Thank you so much. And hopefully, Shabbat.